pretty awesome about Adam and Eve and what we trade, the things we trade in and the things that have to die to clothe us and just all the angles that we, we came across for this. It's so true. So many times we trade things in for a moment. And I want to get into that real quick. We're going to dig into that. I'll probably have you read that when we get going in it because you read very well. <laughs> she will. She's going to be all tongue-tied. It's awesome. Um, but we're just going to dig into this. I hope you're ready today. I hope you're ready for this, this bartered promise that we, we try to trade. You ever got any moments in family where there's issues happening? You know, we, we try to like the show Family Feud, but have you had the family feud for real? Have you dealt with family issues? You love them, but you love to kill them? Is anybody else in this room about family? Like, you see what I'm saying? We, we got them, but we love them, but sometimes there's issues. And, and I think sometimes what we deal with in family is that, that uh, in our eyes, we want them to change for what we think. But you're not the Holy Spirit, so shut your lips. I'm not Jiminy Cricket. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit's job. And I think that there's times where we want people to change because we see the best in it and we get frustrated with it, so we open our mouth and make an opinion about it. And then there's the, the feuds with people and they can't get over it. You got anything like that? You ever had that happen where people, and maybe people are still doing it. Maybe you're part of family, anybody online or watching or in this room that still has, there's still issues. Like when you gather, when you have to gather. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? When you have to gather. And yet there's like people on eggshells because you know, like you know when we get together, oh, Sister Tacky Mouse, she's going to say something and it's just going to set me off and I'm just going to have to stay in the other room. And there's always a feud or, or, or sibling feuds, especially if they're close. When they're close that age, man, there's always a battle, a battle of, of feuds. And so today in this bartered promise, we're going to get into some family feud, some family discussion. I hope you're ready for today. I hope you're ready with your word. I hope you're ready leaning in. You won't go to heaven until you take notes, so you better get some pens and paper ready. <laughs> it just makes you smarter. I don't know. But I hope you're ready today because it's going to be amazing. That the insight that God has given us for this moment, it's so true in our everyday. We trade things in, and we, we want something so quick that we've, we forgot what we'd let go of. What we had actually is more valuable than what we grab in a moment and let go. So let's get into this. I want you guys to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to begin in verses 19, um, going down all the way through 34, and we want to read to you and talk to you about the story of Jacob and Esau this morning, and uh, the trade that was made um, at the time of somebody's hunger, somebody's time of want and need, and so I want to go ahead and get into this. I'm reading this from the message this morning. It says... This is the family tree of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, an Armenian, and Paddan Armin. 
She was the sister of Laban the Armenian. Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. God answered his prayer and Rebekah became pregnant. But the children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? She went to God to find out what was going on, and God told her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when her time to give birth came, sure enough, the twins in her womb, the first came out reddish as if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket, and they named him Esau, which means hairy. And his brother followed his fist clutched tight to Esau's heel, and they named him Jacob, which meant heel, but it also meant deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. The boys grew up, and Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. Jacob was a quiet man, preferring life indoors among the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he loved his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day Jacob was cooking a stew and Esau came in from the field starved. And Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew. I'm starved. That's how he came to be called Edom, which means red. And Jacob said, make me a trade. My stew for your rights as the firstborn. And Esau said, I'm starving. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? And Jacob said, first swear to me. And he did it. On oath, Esau traded away his rights as firstborn, and Jacob gave him bread and the stew of lentils, and he ate and drank, got up and left, and that's how Esau shrugged off the rights as the firstborn. It's powerful because you look at this story and what takes place, and if you look at what is happening, he traded his inheritance at that minute. And what's crazy about it was that the inheritance as the firstborn in the Bible wasn't just about possessions that you were going to receive. It wasn't just about that. It was a spiritual blessing. It was a gift from the father. It was about the name of the family. It was carrying on the family business. It's what you were heir to. It's kind of like as a king and a prince. You know what I'm saying? He's heir to that throne. So he's going to take over all the things of that kingdom, uh, including from taking care of all the subjects to the peasants, to um, all the royal subjects, to the whole kingdom. To, and that wasn't just about the goods. Yes, he gets the royal jewels and stuff like that. But that's what it was in the Bible. It wasn't just, you know, well, you know, what do you have with you to take to you? What do you have to your name as in financially? It wasn't about that. It was much bigger than just money. And what ended up happening was so crazy because Esau at that moment, if you look at this story and you really think about it, he had no regard for what he had. He had no thought about what was his. He didn't even regard the meaning of the family name and being heir to what was coming into his hand and to his life, what he held on to. And it's so crazy because I think about it and I think about Esau um, and how he was Jacob's favorite, you know, it's hard sometimes because with children, you know, it's, it's important, I believe, and just going here for a minute, it's important that children feel in your family that there's no favoritism because favoritism begins to cause division and division then separates things. So just hitting on that about how we do things, what happened was Rebecca favored Jacob. She favored him. And then Esau was favored by Isaac. And what happened, what's crazy to me about this, though, if Esau was Isaac's favorite, don't you think that he'd have more respect for his father? More respect for what his father had done and was getting ready to give over to him? 
And what's crazy is, I think about this, how many times have you wanted something so bad right now, at this minute? You've wanted something so bad that you've disregarded the effects that it would have in the future. How many times have you wanted something in your life so bad that you didn't care what it took, what you had to give for it, what it would put you in? If it was debt, it didn't matter to you. You needed to have that right now. It was something you wanted, and you placed, you, you placed no regard for what the future was going to hold. You just got what you wanted at that moment. And what's crazy to me is that Esau, Esau was an impulsive person to me then. He lived off impulse because in reality, he probably wasn't starving, like literally on his deathbed. He pro if, he could, if he could make a deal, he probably wasn't really starving at that moment. You know what I'm saying? He, he was a hunter. He had no luck. But, but what I would have looked at my brother and said, I'll make my own soup. I'm home. You're, you're telling me that he was home and there was nothing around to be able to make something at that moment? And the thing about it is, is that we sometimes get so tricked by the enemy of our souls to trade things of this world for the eternity of what Jesus has for us. We trade that eternity for the blessings that God has for us, the things that we have down the road, the future promises that God has for us. And we trade those things for a now moment. We live very impulsively. And I looked up the word impulse. And it means the influence of a particular feeling or mental state. A sudden strong wish to do something. And I begin to think about it. And I begin to ask myself this question. Why do we allow our feelings for satisfaction now derail our path to eternity? Why do we allow our feelings for satisfaction right now? Feelings is the key word because an impulse is the influence of a particular feeling. How you feel makes you act. You know, it's kind of that thing, you know, I'm just going to react to it. I'm not going to respond properly. I'm just reacting. I'm just going to lash out and react because that bothered me or that made me upset or I want that now. I need that car right now. So I'm going to go buy that right now, no matter what it affects me. No, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to quit this job today, not thinking about what's going to happen in the future so I can go get the job that I absolutely want. You know, we don't think about consequences. Sometimes we just do. And we trade away what God has in store for us. Do you realize that every step that you take in this life, God says that the, the feet of the righteous are ordered. They're ordered by faith. The steps of the righteous are ordered by faith. And every step that you take is to be ordered by God. And when you begin to step out of that order, you live impulsively. And then on an impulse, you are craving what you want. And what happens is out of your craving, you begin to derail your future plans for eternity that God has purpose for you. And I don't think and believe we were meant to live in debt to Christ. Right? That we were meant to have to try to pay back and get our dues back to what God wants us to do in, in the future. Each one of us, God says, for I know the plans I have for you. And he has plans set out for you. But when you begin to come in and you allow your hunger for the things that you desire in this world to overtake your desire for what God has for you, you trade your inheritance. You trade the gift that God has for you. Can I, let me read this real quick. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17 in the message. The Esau syndrome. 
How many's got an Esau syndrome? To see to it that no one is godless like Esau. He lived for the here and the now, the short-term appetite, short-term vision. I'm going to read that. Short-term appetite, short-term vision, trading away God's lifelong gift to satisfy, satisfy a short-term appetite. And I think about the Esau syndrome when we went out just to get a gift for Nevaeh yesterday. I never seen anything like it in my life. I wasn't thinking about the stimulizing. I didn't even know what that meant. Mackenzie kept saying, they're stimulized. Look at them, mom. And I said, that's a short-term appetite. We pull up and I never seen so many TVs coming out of a Best Buy in all my life. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? And people get money and they short-term their appetite. And they don't use the gift of the long term that God has for them. We're in an Esau syndrome. Uh, and you're short-terming what God wants for our lives. So, man, if we got money, we're good. No, you're not. That's a short-term thing. You have no stewardship. You, you, the first thing we need to do is give unto the Lord... What's do him? Um, but instead, I'm seeing people to and fro chasing after their small-term appetite. And I said, as I looked outside and looked out into the world, and I go, oh, my Lord, it's an Esau syndrome. They're, they're short-terming an appetite, short-term vision. He was short-sighted. Because he could, he could have went and made anything he needed to make. But instead, he short-termed himself. Then later he regretted it. He la later he regretted, regretted the impulse act and wanted God's blessing. And so he goes back and he starts crying. And he tries to repent. It was already over. He already done it. So the impulse that he had in the short-term vision and the short-term appetite, he regretted later. Then he tried to cry out and say, oh my, oh my goodness, I made a mistake. And it was already done. It was already sealed. See, some of us, uh, some of us think that we can, oh, it's grace. We talked about it in the prayer room. It's great. We can just go by. There is grace. We can go by grace. It's okay. We can just ask for forgiveness. I think we're at the place that there's going to be a regret of the short-term appetite that we have and there was this argument and there was this fight with the brother both of them wasn't doing good there was deception you ever went you know just like pastor brandon said you ever go to go to a family and all of a sudden you know there's contentment you know there's unforgiveness and there's an argument in that room and so you short turn that appetite i don't you know what I don't know what the mess of bowl is you got. I don't want a mess in my bowl. I don't want to be looking around and then it's empty handed and I've given away my inheritance for nobody. Do you hear me? When, when I got with my family and they said I didn't have an inheritance, and you didn't hear that. Oh, I got an inheritance. I don't have to have anybody's money. You go into a meeting and they say, I'm so sorry, but 
you don't have an inheritance. I said, oh, but I do have an inheritance. I was raised to be faithful. I was raised to say, you know what? I need the word of God. This is my inheritance. This right here. Isn't it funny how we wait for something to happen and wait for money or wait for this? And oh my goodness, you know, that, that's all going to be mine one day. I, that car, that house. You know what? Then you're going to short-term yourself, short-term the appetite. I don't care about a house. I don't care about a car. You didn't hear that. I care about the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And I don't want to short-term anything. You know, we, we got to be careful with our vision. And I want to say this. And God, I wrote all this out, and all of a sudden he said, no, that's not where I'm going. So I moved the page, and he said, I, wanna, I want you to tell them about the two nations. And two nations were in her womb, two people butting heads, like still in her body. One people will overthrow the other, and the older one will serve the younger. We have two people in our wombs, flesh and spirit. Matthew 25, 32 says, all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We have two people in our wombs. We have flesh and spirit. He's going to separate. Do you have an Esau syndrome? Listen to this. So powerful. One was the son of bondage, which is flesh, and one was the son of freedom, which is spirit. One nation, Adam. The second nation, Christ. He said that to me. Watch how it goes all the way down to the inheritance. One nation was Cain. The second nation was Abel. Two nations. One was Aaron, the other one was Moses. One was Ishmael, and the other one was Isaac. One was Esau, and the other one was Jacob. One was the law, the other one was Mo, the promise. We have got setting in our spirits two nations. One was flesh, and one is spirit. Matthew 24, 40 says, Then shall two be in the field and one will be taken away and the other one was left. Uh, we're sitting right there. Two will be in the field, one will be left and the other one will be taken away. There's a separation of spirit and flesh. Two shall be grinding at the mill and one shall be taken and the other one left. That is why he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. Esau was representing the child of bondage, the one that was born of the flesh. And Jacob represented the child of the promise. We're sitting in a place of spirit and flesh. One will be grinding at the mill, the other will be taken. I think that we have to be very careful how we're standing in this hour. Because I think there's a separation. I think he's... He's separating the, the, the sheep from the goats. And sometimes, you know, you feel like a goat and you're butting heads to something. 
And you have to be careful with that. Amen? I, I want to say something to that real quick. With John 3.16, go back to the very simplest of verses that we were taught when we were younger. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think what's crazy about these two right here is that if you go back to look at the beginning, it talks about the inheritance as being a gift. It's a blessing. And I think that we sometimes can take for granted the, the gift that God has for us which is the eternal life, which are the blessings down the road. We can take for granted that God died on the cross for us and, and sent, well, that he sent his son to die on the cross for us and that gift of is eternal life. That's the inheritance, is the life that we are to live, the life that we have in heaven. You know, we don't store up treasures here where moths and rust destroy, but we store up treasures in heaven. And I think the point about it is, is that when you are like that, when you are so short-termed in your memory of what God has done for you, when you allow the difficulties of wor the world to overtake your memory of what God has done, what he's already taken care of for you, when you allow the short-term vision to um, give hindsight to what he has and what he's done for you, I think what happens is you allow that to short yourself in eternity. You short yourself what you're storing up. And I believe that if we have an inheritance, which is the gift of God, which is eternal life, then when we sit at a table and the enemy is trying to give us a bowl of soup and trade our eternity for the, for the pleasures of the world, what, what are we doing when we choose to take that soup and we choose to take that over? We're looking at God and telling him that your gift, the things that you have aren't good enough. You don't sustain me. The bread of life isn't what holds me. The water of your spirit isn't what contains me. That I don't overflow from that fact. I'm empty. I'm in a shortage. And you will constantly live in the mindset of shortage and lack. But when you allow yourself to remember what God did for you. When you are going through a moment when you are hungry and starving and in a difficult place. And I'm not talking about just literally your bellies. Because you can go for a little while without food. Okay? But I'm talking about when your spirit is literally starving and you keep your spirit in a continual place of shortage, what happens is you then begin to deny the gift that God's given you, which is eternal life. You begin to stop stockpiling in heaven because you're more worried about the treasures that you have on this earth. And God, I believe, is wanting to come in and speak to us today that that's the reason I think he hated when it says he hated. Hate is such a strong word. We don't use that word in our house. Very often do you hear, like, unless they really say, I, ha I hate that. I don't like eating that or whatever. But hate is a strong word. And the thing about it is, is when you hate something, that means you absolutely, with every fiber of your being, despise that. And I believe that the reason God said that with the Esau syndrome, that he hated Esau and he loved Jacob, and the point of that was because he hated the fact that he allowed sin to so seep in that he traded and shorted himself for the lack of just wanting something. He, he lived in lack. 
And it was the example of even, uh, if you look at, at Satan and what he did, he shorted himself what he could have had and what he could have been up in the heavenly realms. And he lives in an earthly realm. And that's why we struggle with flesh is because flesh so manipulates what we really have and what we're going to gain. And, and I believe that God's trying to speak to us today is to say, don't be like Esau, because if you will look at it in your future, you're trading away your eternity every day. When you choose to eat the soup of the world. Put Matthew chapter 5 or 6 up there for me. Awesome. Um, it says that they that do hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And I was thinking about Esau and I'm thinking, what, what are you trying to feed yourself, man? You know, what we hunger all the time. Yeah, I like the way it says it. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will completely be satisfied. I think, I think for me, I think Esau was so willing to trade his birthright, which was his rightful inheritance, just for something that he thought was going to quench him in the moment. And I think that's where we get in trouble as, as God's people is sometimes the enemy. I love what you said about the bowl of soup because I was thinking the same exact thing. Why would I trade what God has put in me just for a taste of a bowl of the world? We, and we do it all the time. We're so willing to trade it because in the moment we're hungry, but we're not willing to work to get fed. You know, it, can I be raw with you real quick? I think a lot of people come to church on Sundays to get fed but for the wrong reasons. All week you've been tasting of the world, and then Sunday you've got to get your fix. And, and, and what you've done is you've traded the inheritance that God has actually given you for a bowl that the world is offering you, and you eat it during the week, and then you come in on Sunday and thinking that i got to get right with God, and the whole week God's given you the opportunity to come and feast on the bread of life. You know, there's, there's a couple things that I see in this story. One is that Esau was so willing to give up what God intended for him. But secondly, the war between the brothers. I think, I think jockeying for a position is wrong. Can I just speak for a minute? Is that okay? This has been on my mind so heavily. We are constantly jockeying for position. Some of us are willing to give up our position just for a taste of the world, while other, others of us will manipulate to get to where we want to go. Jacob manipulated to get to where he wanted to go. And here's the crazy thing. I, when I read this and I see that, that Rachel loved Jacob more than Esau and, and, and Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob, for me, I sit back and I'm like, first and foremost, that's deeply wrong. Because as a parent, I don't have a favorite. I don't. And, and it's wrong that you do have a favorite. Because you should love what God has given you deeply and, and completely all the way around the same. So my, I began to ponder this and I was thinking, man, how many of God's people come in every Sunday morning and sit in this house and don't feel like they're loved at all? And they feel like they got to try to manipulate to get God's love you got to manipulate to get ahead. Well, if I'll just get that position, then God will love me more. 
If I can just get in a leadership position, then God will love me. I mean, think about what Jacob was doing. Jacob's like, man, I want that first place. i got to have first place. I want that inheritance. I want that blessing. It happens later, too. He goes, and Esau is the one that's, that the father's going to lay his hands on and, and proclaim the blessing over. And, and Rachel gets Jacob and says, listen, your brother's going out to kill and, and to make this meal for your father. Why don't you go and, and get this stuff for me? I will make it. Manipulation begins to make it for him. And all of a sudden he says, well, my brother's hairy. <laughs> my brother's crazy hairy. I'm not. I, I don't have hardly any hair on my body. My father's going to know. And she says, well, here, let me show you how we're going to do this. And she manipulates every, everything just so that he can get position. What God's trying to say to us is we don't have to manipulate to get position in the body of Christ because God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't have favorites. He's not looking down on you and going, well, I don't like you today because you're living in sin, but I love Josh because he's been doing right. Jesus wasn't hanging on the cross going, well, I'm only dying for a certain few because they're the ones that will sell out to me and live for me. He died for the whole world knowing that there would be people that would reject him and not want any part of him. So why do you come in here trying to jockey for a position and trying to, trying to manipulate God to loving you more? You don't have to manipulate him to love you. He loves you so deeply and so much that he's willing to throw your sin as far as the east is from the west and never remember it again. He loves you that much. Listen to this. This is so good. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. This is so good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You want to know what your inheritance is? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Watch this, guys. This is why we don't have to jockey for position and try to manipulate to get in. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. That's so good. According to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he, I love this, which he lavished on us. The blessing of God is lavished on us. The blessing of God doesn't just fall on me because I'm a pastor or just because of my name. The blessing of God is lavished on my life because that's how much he loves me. He lavishes it on you because that's how much he loves you. The only thing that separates us from that is our sin. But what's cool about it is that even though you're living in sin, God's not looking at you going, well, Brandon's my favorite, but you're not because you got sin in your life. He's standing with his arms wide open going, just come and step back into the blessing that I have for you. Step back into your inheritance. Quit forfeiting it. You're forfeiting the greatness that I have put in you for the bowl of soup that the world is trying to offer you. 
And eventually that bowl of soup turns sour and it doesn't satisfy you anymore. And then you're going to go looking for the next best thing to try to taste of it. Taste and see that I am good. He said it, taste and see that I am good. I will give you bread that will cause life to enter into you. I will give you a breath that will cause life to come into you. Stop eating of the soup of this world and stop trading your inheritance for something that is eventually going to fade away and die. It's powerful. No soup for you. So powerful. It, it goes back to, uh, I've said this so many times in different ways, about that if, if we're talking about the word hate, that people don't hate sin. They hate the effects of sin. You're, you're caught in sin, so you hate that. You hate the way it makes you feel. And, and we've said it many times, you take something that somebody absolutely hates. Somebody told me once, man, I hate onions. I'm like, if I put onions on your plate, you're going to eat them? No, they ain't going to touch them. Like, so I'll eat everything around onions, but I won't even touch the onions. So you hate them that much? Like, yeah, even if it might touch it, I might cut that piece off and not eat it too. But that's how sin should be. No matter if you're in the face of it or not, I'm not going to eat that bowl. Because I hate it. Not the effects. That's why we come to the altar sometimes, because we, we drag ourselves in. Oh, I've just, I ate it again. I ate it again. When you get to the place, when are you going to get to the place where you're, whether, because listen, we live in a sinful world. We don't have to be of that, though. But you've got to get to a place where you're saying, I'm going to hate the sin. I'm not going to just hate the effects because I, you know, I'm sneaking a ball back here. <laughs> it will find you out anyway. And you will hate the effects of it. Oh, I'm just struggling. I keep drinking and an alcoholic hates the effects of the hangover. And they say they want to quit. It, it just goes on and on. If you're going to hate anything, hate sin. Hate it no matter where you go and no matter who you face. That it's not going to tempt you to lose the inheritance God has for you. I wrote a few things down that I have and I want to read some of these. Um, going back to uh, Rebecca like Sarah was childless for many years and Isaac asked God for the, the, the next promised child you're talking about from Abraham and he there was a, they were childless so you know you're trying to hold on to a promise but God said that the descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars and I'm a part of that what God said to him and I'm a part of him but my wife ain't pregnant my family, we, we don't have kids. And here's the crazy thing. God allows believers to learn, I guess you would say this spiritual principle. Having a relationship with him and fulfilling his purpose do not happen through natural means, but through God's supernatural actions. God chooses to grant his promises and blessings in response to prayer and faith. God chooses. So this happens. It's granted. The inheritance is about to live on. And all of a sudden, this woman 
She's got something going on in her belly. Now we're praying for this, that God gives us this, and now we got a problem with our prayer request. Now God help me with it. Now, what'd she say? If, if, if it's going to be like this, I don't know if I want to live. Well, hold up. Let's fast forward. Didn't the son say the same thing about a bowl of soup? What's the inheritance if I'm going to die? She's, she has to have a conversation with God. She's like, if this is going to be like this, I don't know if I want to live. Now look, I ain't never had a child, so I don't even know, ladies. I'm sorry. You're in the process. I see you, girl. Congratulations on baby boy, though. But it'll get to a point where, like, it's un- I don't Now, I've seen, my wife has said it. I've seen women say, I don't know if I can do this one more time. You know, or, man, this child's got to get up out of here. You're stretching in places you don't need to be stretching. Breaking ribs, doing weird stuff. And she was to the point of, like, hold on, this is, I don't even know if I want to live. This is crazy. This ain't what I, wait, 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 hold on. So now you're complaining about your prayer request, request being answered? How many times has that happened, though? We have this prayer request, and then we complain and feel like it's a problem now. I mean, uh, like, we, we say this a lot. A prime one is, God, use me. And then you, man, I feel so used, God. I don't know. But, Lord, man, use me however you see fit, God. Use me in any way you want. And then later down the road, I just need prayer, man. I just feel so used all the time. Didn't you pray for that? (laughs) Didn't you pray for that inheritance? It's amazing what happens when, when, when there's a big struggle with your prayer request. Are you shocked? Now, maybe she was shocked because, I mean, you know, it, it can be shocking. Hey, I'm, I'm pregnant, okay? That's cool. But not realizing you're going to have two kids at once. Get it over with. Knock them out. Bam. Two for one, you know. And that messed her up. But the, the confusion and the fight. See, if we fast forward to Jesus in his, the womb, and it was single, and, and a cousin in a different womb, which was single, and when they connected, their womb, the womb leaped. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the mama's belly. See, there's a difference there. But in this situation, there was a war going on. And let me just say something. When you have these issues and you favor one over the other, it is detrimental to the child later. And let me take it a step further. Grandparents. When you favor one grandkid over the other, it's wrong. It's detrimental to them now. And the thing is, is we, just like anything else, we love, yes, grandparents do crazy stuff. Are we going to spoil them and sugar them all up and send them home and laugh? And then the kid's acting a fool, and you're like, what the? That's what you get, because you did that to me when, I, when you was little. You was acting. <laughs> we know what you're doing. We know the plans, declares, whatever. Okay. We know your plans. I'm trying to mess my kids up. <laughs> but, but see, and, and the grandparents say, you know, we have the right to spoil these kids. And we have the right to send them home. <laughs> and you also, grandparents, forget you still got the right to whoop their butts. <laughs> yeah. 
get some. Um, so this, this goes down, and, and, and there's a promise. God has to go ahead and have a conversation with her and talk about the, the nations and, and different things that, that go on. Um, the two nations. The two nations are the Israelites, Jacob's descendants, and the uh, Edomites, which is Esau's descendants. My goodness. You ever had cotton mouth? Descendants. D -d Today, Junior. Uh, descendants. My mouth got stuck. Jesus. <laughs> and the nations that come from Jacob and Esau have suffered much conflict and hostility to this day. To this day, there is what, what, where's most of the wars happening? Middle East. Middle East. To this day, there's still conflict. Because of these two brothers. To this day. We're not like, oh, that's a cool Bible story. No, no. We still, about a month ago, there was a bombing again over there. And there's still things happening to this day. You have two nations colliding. And it says that, and here's what's crazy in the end. He's, he's telling her why they're in the womb that the older will serve the younger. Well, look what happens. Let's fast forward one more time. What just happened? The older by what? A few seconds coming out of the womb? Gives up for a bowl of soup to serve the younger? God already said it. Why is it a huge surprise? Like we forget. We just get in the Bible. You act like things are crazy in the world. It's because they are. And, but don't be shocked by it because that's what the word of God says. We got to be brighter and stronger. The older self serve the younger. So... I was thinking about like what she said at the beginning, the customary uh, of the oldest son to inherit the highest place of authority in the family. It is always customar customary, but here's the thing, because God is who he is, he reversed it. This thing got reversed. Now, in that moment, we know later in the story with all the manipulation because, see, the problem is, is Later, people keep trying to eat some random bowls and think that it's okay. God, God is in control of the whole thing. He sees what's going on. He gives us a choice. And it, it's crazy because of the birthright, his inheritance. What? What is that? The spiritual leader becoming the head of the family. Double portion of the inheritance. The claim to the covenant blessing that God promised Abraham. The fact that Esau sold his birthright shows how little he valued God's blessing and covenant promises. His foolishness chose, he chose, he foolishly chose to trade future long-term benefits for present moment pleasures. Long-term benefits. See, I, I, think, I think people don't realize that the decisions we make sometimes, if we're not thinking them out, and I'm not talking about be over the top, overanalyzing, but if we just in the moment just doing something, we're not really thinking of the future. We're not thinking of what the whole picture is. It felt good for the moment, and you go back like, man, what's that, hindsight? <laughs> it's, it's 2020. We've talked about that weeks ago. We don't even think about that. He was more concerned with his physical than his spiritual which is crazy because he felt like he was going to die. What's that if I'm dead? What's my birthright? You can have it. But yet it said that Esau's the one who was the one who got the meal ready, basically. 
I'm going to bring the meal in. I'm the hunter. So it was his job to bring in all the food. And this man couldn't find a way to find something to eat. One thing. It must have been a good bowl of soup. It must have been something real good. It must have smelled real good. But he felt like he was on his deathbed dying. And he would trade his promise. And he said, promise me. It's crazy. Uh, you talked about this, Mom. The New Testament talks about, in uh, Hebrews twelve sixteen, being like an unholy Esau who, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Unholy um, is translated in the Greek. It, it has different kind of meanings and idea of being worldly, being secular, being unspiritual. It's the opposite of being spiritually devoted to God and holy. Esau showed this by his unrestrained desire for temporary satisfaction over long-term spiritual blessings. He didn't care. And I, I think this is the big point right here, that we must keep in mind that our temporary choices have eternal consequences. These moments, they have consequences. He traded long-range good for immediate satisfaction. Jacob, on the other hand, wanted spiritual blessings that were part of God's covenant. I guess the life agreement, just like what was with Abraham. Because of this, Israel's 12 tribes come from Jacob. Because of that moment with Jacob, God used that side to turn around and create the 12 tribes that would basically create the nation of Israel. And today we still have conflict in the Middle East that rolls over into where we are. That never ends. That it just keeps on fighting. Because we've traded something that is temporary. The bartered promises. The think that, man, I'm going to trade that because that's going to satisfy this for one second. For our, or however long it took to eat that bowl of soup and realize later that what the heck did I just do? That his inheritance, the firstborn, like it's such a big deal. It's, it's still a big deal even in London and all that. You know, we got the queen and all that kind of stuff. Well, if, if we go back in history, the queen wouldn't have been queen if the father's brother would have stayed king. But he traded his inheritance for a woman, American woman, to, to marry her. But they weren't allowed to because she was divorced. She was a divorcee, so the church wouldn't allow them to get married. So he gave up throne to his brother, and his brother's daughter was the, is the queen. That whole entire thing, imagine being the other side of that family when you're the one that's supposed to rule. And because of one person's choice, it, it affected, it shifted the whole generation. The generation, the generation to come. And so... These moments happen, but it, we, we take them so quick. The enemy wants to destroy your life. He knows everything that you struggle with. He knows every little detail. He knows the things that cause you, that trigger you, that cause you to go wherever you're going to go. And he will always put it in front of you. Prime example, Jesus on his fast. Jesus is on a fast and the enemy comes in to trade. To turn something, to, to commit suicide, just jump off the rocks. Go ahead and end your life. They'll save you. 
Eat this, turn this to that. Bartered promises. Bartered promises. And I've thought about this many times, man. We, we, we in a moment could trade. What is it? What's, what's in our mouth? The way we talk. How we say things. How we talk to our children. How we talk to people around us. When we talk, when we're frustrated. A bartered promise. Because what? It felt good? I'm going to just lash out or I'm going to cuss and say this and this because it felt good in the heat of the moment. And then later you feel guilty and you feel mad. You feel upset because regret all the because you traded a promise thinking that that was going to satisfy you for a moment. And, you know, it goes even deeper in that with anything, whether it's drugs and alcohol or different things that you you want. It's, it's a trade to make you sat, to satisfy you, to make you feel good. And I, I'll, I'll say this, and this is kind of, I've been thinking about this, and I have to, and I feel like I have to do it, and this is kind of weird for what we're talking about, but I'm going to take a twist to this whole thing. But I have to apologize to this entire church. Because I have not been living right. I talk about the kingdom of God. Oh, he's good, and he is. But I let myself trade in a promise so I could have a bowl. And I'm talking about a, an actual bowl. Because I've got to a place, and I had to have an eye-opening. If the Lord is my dang temple, why did I feel, it with, feel like that it would fill up with just to satisfy me? And I've, I've, I, I got to a place where I just, in my own personal self, wasn't happy but because I chose. I chose that. Because I sat, sat around and didn't think and I just didn't care about my, my, my own body. So when you talk about trading for a spiritual inheritance, but some of you, like myself, got to a place where I didn't care what I did. And I'm saying this for my personal body. That I got to a place, and this is just me, and I'm, gonna, I'm just being real. Is it okay if I'll be real? I got to a place where I, I've weighed the most I've ever weighed in my entire life. I got up to 260 pounds. Now, hear me. Look how quick you can trade something real fast. I've never weighed that in my entire life. And a few months ago was an eye-opening experience for me. Because what? Because it just is good and I just want to eat it? I look like a dang beach whale, a walrus, whatever you want to call it, flopping around up here. <laughs> and I was, every time I looked in the mirror, it wasn't, what did I do? I did it. I chose to live like that. So we talk about like how the body's the temple because if it's the temple, he dwells in it. What are we doing with this temple? We keep trading it in for another bowl of soup, another french fry, another bag of chips, another... And then we feel exhausted and depleted and we don't, because we allow these things, see I, I took a twist on it, because we have allowed these things to overtake us. Just like any other addiction, food is an addiction. Like anything else is. And you might not even think you're, you, oh I just can't do it. You can do it. You chose not to. You're big because you're big. 
I'm just being real. I'm, being, I'm talking to myself. And I had to have this moment. I kept thinking about where we were going with this, and I kept looking at that. I was like, man, I've done the same thing, but I physically have ate the soup and ate the soup and ate the soup and ate this. Yeah, 2020, I can ex- give an excuse. I was quarantined. I just sat and ate. Yeah, a lot of us did. But you got to come to a place where you're going to say, if the body's the temple, like we said, remnant fit, we're going to be physically, spiritually, and mentally fit. I would hate to think that I can't do something God's called me to do because I am overweight and can't stop eating. So I'm droggy, I'm tired, I'm weak, I can't bend over and grab it, I'm hurting, my back hurts, the weight's on me. I'm not trying, listen, I'm not pointing at no, I'm looking, everybody look at me, point at this fat kid. <laughs> like a fat kid that loves cake. <laughs> but the reality is, listen, I get people have health issues and stuff. I'm not, I'm just saying, me personally. And that's why I wanted to apologize. I'm up here like, yeah, God, you know, he's the Lord. And I'm like, I'm neglecting the temple that he's given me. Because I wanted to trade it in for a, a bowl of soup, some fried chicken, some whatever else. I'm not saying the food's not good. I, I think portion control, I think we can get to a place where we feel like we just, just overeat. Because if we were being honest, I'm not trying to shift this around or nothing, but if we were really being honest, we could all probably raise our hand and say, you know what, I've done the same thing. I've, I've, I've traded in, physically have traded in, and I, I want to be better spiritually. I want to have longevity because, listen, what am I doing? I was temporary trying to fix something, and it's going to cause me long-term. I could get diabetes. I could, I, not, the more you put on the weight, the more you do the stuff, that's, the cholesterol and all the stuff, you're gonna, your life's starting to shrink real fast. And then what? We stress out, so we stress smoke, and we stress drink, and we stress. And we trade in this bowl, this, the, the inheritance God wants for a bowl of soup. Well, for me, it was a bag of chips, and it was a thing of Oreos, and it was. And here's the crazy part. We, we kind of eat healthy. We, I mean, we have to in a way. Eat healthy in our house. But that pantry don't look healthy. Because you know they got some good chips and all the other good stuff we got. And, and you just find yourself, and you don't even realize you're doing it, and it becomes a habit. And, you, you've, and then later on you feel it because, you, you know, you put on the stretchy pants instead of the ones you want to wear. And you wonder why, and then you're like, I'm not buying those other pants. I'm not buying size 30, whatever. I'm, I'm going to try to just being real. It's me. And, and the reason I'm saying that about the apology is because I want my life to be an example in all areas. I want to be healthy. I don't want to trade it in. Yeah, we're talking about spiritually because it is very vital. But physically, what are we doing? And it doesn't help that you can get a cheeseburger for a dollar and a salad for six. <laughs> And my dad, he's like, where's the meat? I don't want rabbit food, you know. <laughs> Put some grilled chicken, I don't know. But I think it's in all areas. And if, if this could wake anybody up, it's, it's, it's woke me up. And if anybody else has struggled like that, let that be a way. We're not here to condemn or nothing. I want you to, I think God's calling us to be remnant fit, for real. Not just because of remnant church, but to be a remnant that is mentally, physically, and spiritually fit. Because what he's called us to do, we got to be fit. 
We're out reaching the laws. We're out doing these things. So I wanted to apologize because, and that's just me, because if our body is the temple, I, did, I wasn't taking care of it. And I think we have to look in the mirror at that. I don't want this whole thing to be about weight loss. This ain't a like, confession deal. But I think the whole picture in this is what do we trade? Whether it's physical or spiritual or mentally. Like we, God wants us to have all those things. Like he said, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for him. Like if you get more of Jesus. Can I read this? Psalms 34, 8. Open your mouth and taste. See, I think sometimes we open up our mouth and we taste the wrong things and we eat the wrong things. But God said, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. People will lose their appetite if we change the taste of the gospel to the bland and water down the version. God's desire is for us to be hungry for more of him and not compromise and listen to the screaming sounds and lower our standards for a bowl of soup. And I think that there's a, there's a hunger that God wants to give us. And I think he wants to fill our mouths. He said, open up your mouth and taste. And I think he wants to fill our mouths with, with him. I think we, we don't need to be de- deceived with a taste of something else. And, you know, I think the whole thing is, too, is being honest. And being transparent to what have I really been tasting? What have I really been? And I think your personal repentance, he spoke that out loud because he wanted to make sure that he repented in front of everybody. And if you have to repent to somebody else and make yourself accountable, or if you just need to do that personally by yourselves. Real quick, Mom. When that moment finally was an eye-opening experience for me, the first thing I did was I just, you know, first, I just, like you said, talking to the Lord. Second thing I did is I started to fast because I knew that I had to get away from my flesh. And fasting separates you from your flesh. And it is tough at the beginning. And, and I had to just have a stronger moment in prayer and find scriptures that were going to renew my mind. Listen, I'm a, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't struggle. Don't put me on a pedestal. I'm, I'm just like anybody else. So you might find yourself personally thinking, well, maybe I need to go on a fast. And what a struggle it was. It's not a struggle right now, but it was. And just focusing and just digging into the Lord and refocusing my life and my thoughts and the way I do stuff and not not grabbing for that bowl because that inheritance is going to be greater than that bowl because, man, he's got stuff prepared for us that's unreal. Go ahead and join us just for a moment. Stand to your feet. I want to read this last scripture to you this morning as we get into end out and into some worship. And John 1, 12 through 13, it says, But to many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name, who were born not of blood, natural conception, nor of the will of the flesh, of physical impulse, 
nor of the will of man, that of a natural father, but of God. That is a divine and supernatural birth. They are born of God spiritually and transformed, renewed, and sanctified. In Romans 8, 12 through 17. And I want Christy to put that up in the Amplified. It says, so then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but not to our flesh, our human nature, our worldliness, our sinful capacity to live according to the impulses of the flesh, our nature, without the Holy Spirit. For if you are living according to the impulse of the flesh, you are going to die. But if you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. You will really live forever. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading you again to fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit producing sonship, by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. For you, the Spirit himself, testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we believers are children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs, also heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessings and inheritance. If indeed we share in his suffering so that we may also share in his glory. And I think what we have to remind ourselves is that when you inherit something, you're not only inheriting literally like I said, blessings that are financial. When you inherit something, that can be the DNA. When you inherit genetically from what you are born of, you are genetically inheriting the DNA of your father or your mother. And that's what God's talking about right here is that we are inheriting the DNA of Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb, the one that covers and conquers all sin. And when we begin to allow that to come into our lives and we allow that to overwhelm and overcome us and overtake us, what happens is we then produce what we have inherited. And God wants us to be able to say, no, nope, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to give in to that bowl of soup. I'm not going to give in to those sinful deeds because I don't want to give up the DNA that I have in me. I don't want to give up what God's given me. And you have the ability at those very moments, listen to me, to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Daddy, I need you. I need you at this very minute. I'm very tempted right now because I'm struggling. And the things of this world, the sufferings that I'm going through, I'm struggling. But God wants you to know when he said that, that when you share in his sufferings, you share in his glory. And God is desiring for us today, put down the bowl of soup. I don't care if you've been taking it in your hands. You may not have taken a bite yet, but put it down. And then outstretch your arms and your hands to God to say, give me what I need from you, God. You feed me your word every day. You feed me your spirit. You feed me your love. And so today as we cry out, if you know that you need God and you need him to just come in and, and give you that strength and that courage and that support to put the bowl of soup down. If you know you've been eating from the world and you shouldn't, the altars are open. This is a personal moment. I don't believe this is a moment where everybody has to pray over you. I think this is a personal moment. The problem of it was is that he still had the favor of the Father but did not 
appreciate it and he took it for granted and see the thing about it is is God's wanting you to come back as sons and daughters when you've taken for granted what God's done and come to the altar and say I lay it down I put the bowl of soup down God I don't want to eat of the world anymore you give me you every day amen amen Father God, we ask you today that you would just be over us, God, and that we would begin to give to you, God, all the desires and the things that are our wants, the things that are our needs, God. And you would forgive us, God, for impulsively acting to try to fulfill in a worldly way what you have tried to give through the Spirit. And God, I pray, God, that if we've been eating of the soup of the world, God, number one, we would turn and repent. We would put it down, God, and we would ask for forgiveness, and we would come into the place, God, of repentance, God, where we would come into you and ask you, God, to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God, that you would be our Abba, that you would be our Father, so that we can inherit from you what spiritually God is due ours, God, for we are children of God. I thank you for all you're doing in us today. I thank you for your word. Forgive us for trading God so quickly so easily. Forgive us for, forgive us for not having regard for your promises, for your blessings.